so inshallah ta'ala we have reached the tafsir of Surah Al-Kafirun and Surah Al-Kafirun is a surah which has a number of different names it's one of the surahs that has probably some of the most names out of the different surah of the Qur'an. I can't say which surah has the most variation in names, but it has a lot of variations uh, in names. So from the names that Surah Al-Kafirun is known by is Al-Kafirun. And that is because of the beginning of the surah. قُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا الْكَافِرُونَ قُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا الْكَافِرُونَ it's also known as Surah Al-Ibadah, the Surah of Worship, because Allah repeated in it the necessity of worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone and with no partner. قُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا الْكَافِرُونَ لَا أَعْبُدُ مَا تَعْبُدُونَ so it was also known as Surat Al-Ibadah. One of the other names that it's also known by is it's also confusingly sometimes called Surat Al-Ikhlas. Because here the meaning is not Surat Al-Ikhlas which is Qulhu Allahu Ahad but the two surahs that talk about Ikhlas. And that is Surat Al-Ikhlas, Qulhu Allahu Ahad and Surah Al-Kafirun قُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا الْكَافِرُونَ And because here the Surah talks about ikhlas, about sincerity in worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. So some of them also refer to it as, uh, as Surah Al-Ikhlas. It's also known as Surah al uh, surah Al-Deen, Surah Al-Deen, the Surah of the Religion. Lakum deenukum waliyadeen. I have my way of submitting to Allah, or I have my religion, which is Islam, and you have your religion, which is the religion of, since this Surah is addressed to the Kafirun, is the religion of disbelief. It's also known as, and this is a little bit of a, a, a difficult one, Al-Muqashqisha. And Qashqasha in Arabic, it means to sweep uh, something up. It means to sweep something away. Because it completely sweeps away and destroys 
any kind of making a partner with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So these are some of the names of Surah Al-Kafirun and there are others and Allah Azza wa Jalla knows best that are mentioned in different places that people give this different name or refer to this surah in this way. But since we talked about its relationship with Surah Al-Ikhlas, it's really important to mention that this surah is one of the surahs that has a very strong relationship with Surah Al-Ikhlas, Qul Allahu Ahad. And that is why this surah is one that the Prophet used to recite frequently along with Qul Allahu Ahad. So it's mentioned in Raka'atay At-Tawaf, the two raka'at of At-Tawaf, after you make Tawaf of the Kaaba, when the Prophet would say, وَاتَّخِذُوا مِن مَقَامِ إِبْرَاهِيمَ مُصَلَّى And then he would pray behind the Maqam Ibrahim, what's known as Raka'atay At-Tawaf, the two raka'at of Tawaf. In the first raka'ah, he would recite Qul ya ayyuhal kafirun And in the second raka'ah, he would recite Qul huwallahu ahad It's also narrated in raka'atay al-fajr The two raka'at before fajr That in the first raka'ah, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam would recite Qul ya ayyuhal kafirun and in the second raka'ah, he would recite, Qul huwallahu ahad. This is the two raka'at before Fajr. And likewise, it's narrated from some of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, similarly about the raka'atay al-maghrib, the, the sunnah after Salat al-maghrib, the ratiba after Salat al-maghrib, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would recite, Qul ya ayyuhal kafirun, and he would recite, Qul Allahu Ahad. And similarly is narrated with regard to the witr, when the witr is prayed as three, or as two, and then one. Likewise, where we have Surah Al-Kafirun, we have Sabbih Isma Rabbika Al-A'la, and Surah Al-Kafirun, and Qul Allahu Ahad. So these are two surahs that go together, but here there is a question. And the question is that Imam ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala and if I'm not mistaken he mentioned this in Zad al-Ma'ad that the general guidance of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and I'm going to give you two things about reciting surahs number one he would recite a surah kamila in each rak'ah completely very rarely would he recite a part of a surah or an end of a surah or a beginning of a surah or some ayat. This is permissible because Allah Azza wa Jal said, فَقَرَأُوا مَا تَيَسَّرَ مِنَ الْقُرْآنِ Read whatever is easy from the Qur'an. So it's permissible to read the end of a surah, the middle. But the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ in his hadith, his guidance, was to recite a complete surah. Sometimes if it was a big surah, he, would, he might break it up into two. But generally speaking, he would recite from the beginning of the surah to the end of the surah. And generally speaking, he would recite in his salawat from the mufassal. That are the, the, those are the surahs that have lots of 
small ayat starting from Surah Qaf or some said from Surah Al-Hujarat like in starting from Surah Qaf until Surah Al-Nas in Fajr he would recite the longer ones that is the ones that are somewhere in the region of four pages long in each raka'ah one and then another if it was really long it might break it up in half two pages, three pages, four pages in each raka'ah in Dhuhr and Asr and Isha he would typically recite from the middle Mufassat, that is those that are around about a page around about a page to a page and a half of the Mus'haf in Dhuhr longer and in Asr slightly shorter but still from those that are a page to a page and a half maybe two pages the middle size ones and typically in Maghrib he would recite from Qisar al-Mufassal the small Mufassal surahs like Al-Kafirun Al-Ikhlas and so on the small ones like Alam Nashrah Laka Sadrak until the end of the until the end of the Mus'haf so far we didn't come across a problem but with the third point, I said two, but I mentioned three. With the third point, we're going to come across a problem. From the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ is that he would typically recite two surahs that come together in the Mus'haf. So he would typically recite, for example, Al-A'la and Al-Ghashiyah. That come together. Sabih isma rabbika al-A'la. Hal ataka hadith al-Ghashiyah comes immediately afterwards one and then the other like that why here when it's generally his guidance was that he would not usually recite one surah from one place and one surah from another place he would usually recite them together why here and we have other examples but specifically here did he recite two surahs that are not together in the mushaf Yes, you can argue it's not a condition because of course read whatever is easy from the Quran but is there, a, is there a reason here? The scholars say it is clear the, 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 how each of these two are suited to each other and perhaps one of the wisdoms of reciting the surah that come together is that there is tarabut, there is a link and a tie between the two surahs. The two are connected to each other. Here, they are also connected to each other. Even though they're not together in the mushaf, the topic and the way that the surah is formed is clearly the case that these two surahs are connected to each other in meaning. One of them deals with sincerity and declaring the oneness of Allah through worshipping Allah alone and the other one deals with the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his names and attributes and actions so there is no doubt that this brings together the two types of tawheed tawheed al-ma'rifati wal-ithbat and tawheed al-qasdi wal-amal the oneness of Allah in knowing him and affirming his names and attributes, and that is primarily the topic of Qulhu Allahu Ahad, 
and the oneness of Allah as it results in seeking from Allah and asking from Allah and worshipping Allah and that is primarily dealt with by Surah Al-Kafirun even though the two of them overlap it's not the case that it's one on one topic and one on that there is an overlap for example when you mentioned that Allah is a samad that necessitates that you call upon Allah Azza wa Jal alone but here you can see the two halves of At-Tawheed you can divide Tawheed into three or into two, it doesn't make any difference. So here the two halves of Tawheed in Surah Al-Kafirun and Surah Al-Ikhlas. So that makes sense for those two to be recited uh, together. And one of the things that's a little sad is that we don't really see many people revive this, this Sunnah, to be honest with you. This Sunnah of reciting whole Surahs and reciting from the Mufassal, the small Surahs at the end of the Qur'an, and reciting the surahs that come uh, together in the Mus'haf and then reciting you know, slightly longer at Dhuhr than Asr and so on. We, this kind of sunnah of how the Prophet used to lead the salah, it's almost never seen. And that's, there is no harm, like we said, it's not a matter of haram, but it would be nice yani, sometimes to see that sunnah being revived in terms of the, the guidance of the Prophet And when we talk about reviving the Sunnah, there's no doubt that one of the books that is a key book in reviving the Sunnah of the Prophet is this book Zad al-Ma'ad by Imam ibn al-Qayyim. There is a summary of it in English. It's called Provision of the Hereafter, something like that. Provisions of the Hereafter, or Provision for the Hereafter, something like that, by Imam ibn al-Qayyim, where he talks about the different guidance of the Prophet So many of these things you see, they're like Sunan that have gone away. People have kind of forgotten about them. So Ihya as Sunan, you know, reviving the Sunan. Inshallah, it comes under the hadith Man Sanna fil Islami Sunnatan Hasana Falahu Ajruha Wa Ajru Man Amila Biha Min Gayri and Yang Husamin Ujurihim Shay O Kamakala Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that whoever does a whoever starts a good example in Islam will have the reward of it and the reward of all those who act upon it without their reward being decreased in anything. Or as the Prophet said. Okay. Until now we dealt with the name of the surah and the connection of the surah to Qulhu Allahu Ahad. One thing on the connection of the surahs and the Sabab Nuzul and things like that. This is one thing where you have to be a little careful. And I remember one of my teachers, I remember him emphasizing this that sometimes people in finding links between the surahs and, and why is this surah mentioned first and why is this one mentioned second, there is a lot of guessing and a lot of very distant theories that don't really have any basis and a lot of kind of like statements that don't really make sense. At the same time, that doesn't mean that the science of understanding the links between the surah and where it fits is without benefit. It's something that don't go to extremes in it. Yeah, don't go too far in trying to say, oh, this one ends in a qaf and this one begins with a qaf and this one starts with this and this. Like sometimes the, the opinions are very, very, very far away from, you know, from benefit. Don't go to extremes in it. Like even in some Asbab al-Nuzul, the causes of revelation, you find sometimes like extremely weak reports just so I can say something. And it's okay to say that we might not have all of the answers for that or one person might not have all of the answers for that. 
but it's still beneficial where it's clear, like Surah Al-Kafirun and Surah Al-Ikhlas, the link between them is very clear and the connection between them is very clear. So it's beneficial to mention that there is a connection and a tie between them and a reason why they go together uh, in the Mus'haf. And there are other surahs the Prophet ﷺ used to recite without them being together, like Surah Al-Sajda and Hala'ata Al-Insan. These two are not together in the Mus'haf, they're not even nearly together in the Mus'haf. So there are examples, other examples of that as well. Now we come to the Sabab Nuzul, the cause for revelation. And almost, almost you can say that the scholars generally of Tafsir, they mention very, a very similar set of reports about why the Surah was revealed. They don't all agree on the exact situation and they don't all agree on exactly where it happened because this is a surah that the scholars differ over whether it was Makkiyah or Madaniyah although the majority of the scholars say that it was Makkiyah it was revealed in Makkah but they almost all agree roughly the sabab of the Nuzul the reason why the surah was revealed and that is that a group of the disbelievers they offered the Prophet وسلم, a deal. And the different the word differs in the deal they offered him, but effectively the deal was we will worship Allah alone for a period of time, and you have to worship our gods for a period of time. In one of the more famous narrations, a year. You worship uh, our gods for a year and we will worship Allah for a year. And in some of the narrations that they said to him, we will give you our kingdom. We will marry you to whoever you wish from our women. We will enrich you, we'll give you riches. In some of the narrations it mentions that if there is good in your religion, we'll practice it, and then we'll get the good from your religion. And if there is good in our religion, you can practice it for a while and we'll see which religion has the good. You know, you try out our religion and we'll try out your religion and then we'll see which of the religions is the better one. And look at the answer. Say, O disbelievers, I don't worship what you worship. And this is very important because the similar methodology in da'wah is still something that people kind of advocate a little bit, you know, this kind of idea of the religions coming together and you know, you listen to what I have to say and if there's good in it, you can take it and I listen to what you have to say and if there's good in it, we can take it and we can all benefit from each other and we'll soon find out what the righteous way is. This surah was revealed against this concept. It was revealed that we as Muslims, we don't, we don't want what anyone else has. We're not interested in what anyone else has to offer. I have nothing to do with what you worship. I have nothing to do with your religion. And I have no interest in learning it or learning about it or listening to what it has to offer. My religion is to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone and with no partner. And whatever you have, it's not that. So this is an, this is an important concept. The Prophet so many people, if you think about the the qiyas, the way people think about things today, it's an opportunity. Look, you know, they will worship Allah 
for a while and you know then maybe they will get attracted to it even also it's a refutation of those people who advocate involving themselves in political processes for a better long-term goal it's also a refutation of them because the Prophet was offered to be a king in charge of Quraysh okay no problem compromise a bit become the king change the law and then now you can you know everyone can become Muslim we don't get involved in these things for this goal, long-term goal that I'm going to bring about this change or whatever. The Prophet ﷺ didn't accept to become a king of Quraysh, you know, with a few compromises so that he could do the greater good like that. Or the ends justify the means. This is a surah that completely wipes out all of these deviant ideologies and opinions. Now we come to an interesting question, which I never really thought about before, to be honest with you. But I think it's interesting. How many surahs in the Quran start with Qul? It's really interesting to think about. And out of those surahs, how would you classify them? How would you classify the surahs that start with so I'm going to leave that one for you to think about and come back to me next week. How many surahs in the Quran start with Qul? And how would you group? I mean, that's an easy question. You can, you, can, you can just open your phone right now and you can answer it. But the harder question is, how would you classify them? Are they related to a particular similar topic or a particular concept or a particular instruction? What the surahs that start with the word Qul This is interesting Qul ya ayyuhal kafirun Here the Prophet Sallallahu is told to address the kafirun Which kafirun or which kafirin Is the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam being commanded to address here Here the scholars broadly speaking have two opinions who are the disbelievers when he was said, say, oh, disbelievers. Some of the scholars of tafsir, they said, there are maybe three, we can say more than two. Let's two, two start with two and then we can expand. Some of them said the kuffar of Quraysh. The Prophet was commanded to say to the people of Quraysh, قُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا الْكَافِرُونَ Others saw the ayah to be more general and they said that this is to every disbeliever regardless of religion, regardless of the kind of disbelief, this is a message to every single disbeliever. And if I'm not mistaken, this was the opinion taken by Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah that the ayah is for every disbeliever regardless of their religion and it's not specific to the kuffar of Quraysh. Others joined between these two things. And they said, there is no reason why we can't join between them. The Prophet said it to the kuffar of Quraysh, but the surah, the general wording of the surah is to everyone who is defined by the word kafir. Every kafir, regardless of what kind of disbeliever they are, whether they are from Ahl Kitab, and we have to make it clear that Ahl Kitab are disbelievers, right? 
Indeed, those who disbelieve from the people of the book. Disbelieved have those people who said that Allah is one out of three, one of a trinity, and so on. So Ahl Kitab are still a kind of kuffar. They're a kind of disbeliever. But they're a special kind because they're a kind of disbeliever who are relatively closer to Islam than others. So here, they said everyone who is covered by the term kafir, they are addressed by this surah. Say, O oh disbelievers, I do not worship what you worship. Now here, if we go a bit further, And you people are not worshippers of what I worship. And I am not a worshipper of, of what you worship. Nor are you worshippers of what I worship. Here, the first question comes is, that it seems like there is repetition. Now, don't get me wrong, the, the ayah repeating, that's clear. And you know that that's not a, a matter of different. But it seems like the message is being repeated. And this brings us to a mas'ala, an issue which we have to address from the Qur'an. And that issue is, is there repetition in the Qur'an? Now someone says, come on, I've heard Surah Al-Rahman. There's repetition. Yeah? But that's not what they mean. They mean, is there an ayah which is repeated such that the meaning of the ayah is repeated again and again or not? And there are different opinions on this. Some of them said, and the Ammatul Mufassirin, the majority of them said there is no repetition. Not even one. And they said the meaning is that every one of those ayat has a totally different meaning to the other one with the same words. So, every time it comes, it has a different meaning to the other one. And this was the majority of the Mufassirin, they said this. And they said, that the meaning, broadly speaking, is defined by the ayah that comes before it. So every time it comes in Surah Al-Rahman, It is referring to the blessings that are mentioned in the ayah previous to it, and that each one is different. Others, they said, if the ayat are not together, it's possible that the ayah could be repeated for the benefit of reminding and فَذَكِّرْ فَإِنَّ الذِّكْرَةَ تَنْفَعُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Remind for the reminder benefits the believers. And if there's a gap between them. And others, they said, no, the ayah can be repeated for at-tawqeed, for emphasis. So that it's like hammering the message home. In Surah Al-Kafirun, some of them said, this is uslubun min asalib al-Arab. It's a style, a linguistic style from the styles of the Arabs that they would repeat in this way, meaning to doubly emphasize that it is never going to happen, no way. 
so that they would repeat it like this and that this is a style of Arabic something that was known in Arabic poetry and so on prior to Islam that it is like hammering the point home but here if we take the opinion of the majority that there is no repetition and what many of them said about these two ayat is that they said the difference between these two pairs of ayat is whether one of them refer is the time that one refers to so some of them said the past and the future and some of them said the present and the future and some of them said the first two ayat refer to the present and the second two ayat refer to the past and the others said the first two ayat refer to the past and the second two ayat refer to the future sorry so there are a lot of different different variations but broadly speaking a lot of them said the difference is the time being referred to so it is like saying i haven't and i don't and i will not that's the conclusion of the those ayat repeating i haven't worshipped what you worship and i will not and i do not worship now what you worship and i will never worship what you worship the next problem here or the next issue mas'ala we have to deal with here is if it refers to the future then there are some of the disbelievers who became muslim so can we say i will never worship what you worship when some of many of the kuffar of quraish worshiped allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone here some of the scholars among Sheikh Islam Taymiyyah others they said here that the meaning here is referring to uh, those at, it's referring to, to people at any one time and the people who are disbelievers at that time and the people whoever this surah reaches at the time when they are a disbeliever not worshipping what you worship until you no longer belong to the category of kafirin of being disbelievers and that's the, perhaps the stronger opinion here that they don't this surah applies to everyone who the term kafir applies to unless that person until that person stops being kafir they stop being a disbeliever when they stop being a disbeliever they no longer fall under kafirun because they don't they don't come under the say oh disbelievers so we said that one way or the other, the surah covers the past and the present and the future. I have not worshipped and I'm not worshipping and I will not worship what you worship. This next thing that we have to deal with here. Ma abud. وَلَا أَنْتُمْ عَابِدُونَ مَا Here, there is no difference of opinion that what the Prophet ﷺ worshipped and worships any, from the time of the surah, past, present and the future is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala وَحْتَهُ لَا شَرِيكَ Alone with no partner. So how can we refer to Allah Azza wa Jal with مَا مَا 
Generally, ma is used for inanimate objects and things that are not, uh, do not have intelligence. You know, thing, you use ma, generally speaking, for things which are non-intelligent and things which are, uh, you know, inanimate uh, objects, typically. You would use the word ma. So how can we refer to Allah with ma? Wala antum abiduna ma abud. Here the scholars say there's a very, very subtle benefit here. First of all, some of them just came along and said, no, here ma is used meaning alladhi, the one who. And some of them came along and said, ma is used to mean man. Ma meaning man. And that's fine linguistically, it's okay, it makes sense. But there's a greater benefit here. And that is answering a question which is even deeper. How can we say that the disbelievers don't worship Allah? When the Quran affirms repeatedly that the disbelievers worshipped Allah and others along with him. So repeatedly we are told Most of them do not believe in Allah except they make partners with Him. And the many times They call upon Allah when they're in a desperate situation who's going to save you and the ship is on the sea and they call upon Allah So how can we say that the non-Muslims do not worship Allah. Ahlul Kitab. Do Ahlul Kitab not worship Allah Azza wa Jal? Is it not Allah Azza wa Jal that Ahlul Kitab, generally speaking, worship? How can we say? Here the word ma comes in. Because the effective meaning here is you do not worship Allah as I worship Allah. You do not worship Allah with his names and his attributes and the actions and the ibadat, the way that I worship Allah alone and with no partner. And that is part of the subtlety in ma, ma a'bud. In, in other words, you do not worship Allah as he deserves to be worshipped, or you do not worship Allah with in the way that I in the way that I worship Allah by dedicating the religion to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. Similarly, I will not worship what you worship. Yet it's known that the non-Muslims worship among their idols, they worship Allah Azza wa Jal. So here again the same thing comes in that I will not worship, first of all, your idols and your gods that you have taken besides Allah. And I will not worship along with others, along with Allah. Or worship Allah the way that you worship Allah Azza wa And this brings us to the emphasis that the Prophet so many times he emphasized being different in our, we are even different from the non-Muslims in our ibadat, 
even when they worship Allah and we worship Allah, we are different from them. Be different from the Jews and the Christians. The Prophet said in one narration, pray, sallu, pray in your shoes. Be different from the Jews and the Christians. Even to the point that they used to take their shoes off and the Muslims were told, keep your shoes on. They used to fast Ashura and the Prophet fasted the ninth and the tenth, or intended to fast the ninth, commanded to fast the ninth and the tenth. I don't worship Allah the way that you worship Allah. And my concept of Allah is not like your concept of Allah. And this is where we come back to Ma'abud comes back to Qulhu Allahu Ahad. I worship Allah based upon Qulhu Allahu Ahad. Allahu Samad Lam Yalid Walam Yulad Walam Yakullahu Kufwan Ahad. And that's not the basis upon which you worship Allah. So effectively here, the basis upon which I worship Allah is totally and utterly different from the basis upon which these not disbelievers worship Allah. Even those who are relatively speaking more monotheistic in terms of the religions like Judaism and so on, that is generally more towards the worship of Allah alone than others like Hinduism or something else. So no doubt Ahl Kitab and even among Ahl Kitab, there are, there are monotheistic Christians, there are polytheistic Christians, there are Trinitarians, there are Unitarians and so on. So ultimately, they're not of one thing. But we as Muslims have nothing to do with any of that. And this emphasizes that Islam is the only religion of Tawheed. And there is no other religion that achieves and establishes Tawheed except Islam. Because there is Islam and there is Kufr. We agreed there is Islam and everything besides Islam we call kufr. Doesn't matter whether it's atheism, polytheism, Ahl Kitab, Christianity, Judaism, whatever. Everything besides Islam we call kufr. What comes after the truth except for the falsehood? If every other religion besides Islam is called kufr and we are told to say to those people, then here we see that there is no religion that achieves the worship of Allah alone and with no partner, absolutely and completely except Islam. No other religion. And this is from the greatest of evidences that Islam is the only true religion. The only religion that is acceptable to Allah is Islam. Because only Islam achieves the worship of Allah alone and with no partner. Now that doesn't mean that all of the other religions are equal in the amount of shirk, polytheism they have. Some of them are polytheistic to the millions of gods. And some of them are less polytheistic. And some of them have a concept of monotheism, but along with that, they make shirk with Allah in other things like taking their monks and their rabbis as gods besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But ultimately, the only religion that establishes the worship of one God absolutely and completely in every aspect is Islam. 
And that's why we're told to say to them, قُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا الْكَافِرُونَ لَا أَعْبُدُ مَا تَعْبُدُونَ I will not worship what you worship. And this also tells us the importance, this whole surah tells us the importance of al-bara'ah min al-shirki wa ahli. That a condition of la ilaha illallah for which la ilaha illallah cannot exist without it is that you declare yourself to be free of making a partner with Allah and all those people who make a partner with Allah, however they do it. And there is no la ilaha illallah without this. You cannot have la ilaha illallah without this. La ilaha illallah stands upon the concept of declaring yourself to be free and disassociated and cut off from every act of worship to anything and anyone besides Allah and to all of the people who do it. That doesn't negate good treatment of them. Allah didn't prohibit you from the people who didn't fight you for your sake of your religion and they didn't throw you out of your homes. That you should be kind to them and be just towards them. But our religion, don't get me wrong, like don't ever ever think that Islam is accommodating or welcoming of, you know, someone to have worship something different or, or not worship Allah as he should be worshipped. This surah completely destroys that concept. And it tells you there is no la ilaha illallah without al-bara'a min al-shirki wa ahli. Without you saying I have nothing to do with shirk and nothing to do with the people who make shirk. That's what la ilaha illallah is built upon. Like we said, that's different. there's a different issue about how you treat people and your fairness and kindness towards people and educating them about Islam and inviting them to Islam and giving them safety and security. That's a whole different issue. But don't ever think you're on the same side or you're on the same team or you're playing the same, you know, like, oh Allah. لَكُمْ دِينُكُمْ You have your religion. Now here is interesting because even Quraysh within themselves had many differences in their deen. And we know from the people of, in the Arabian Peninsula were those who worshipped the sun and the moon. Don't pray, make sajda to the sun or the moon. Some of them took the angels and the prophets as gods besides Allah. Some of them worshipped stones, some of them worshipped graves, some of them worshipped trees, some of them worshipped the living, some of them worshipped the dead, some of them worshipped the stars. So how can we describe them as having one deen? Why don't we say, لَكُمْ adiyanukum deen? You have your religions and I have my religion. Here the scholars say, a deen, the deen here is kufr. The deen here is disbelief. And kufr is millatun wahida. It's one religion ultimately. Ultimately, there's only two religions, Islam and kufr. Everything else is just a variation of that. There is Islam and there is kufr. You have your religion, I have my religion. You have your religion and I have my religion. Your religion here addressed to the kafirun is Kufr, because this is the only thing that joins them all together. You can't say that it's idols because not all of them worshipped physical statues. 
Some of them worshipped angels. Some of them worshipped Isa, السلام, Some of them worshipped uh, the sun and the moon. Some of them worshipped the stars. We have the hadith about the people who became believers or those who were believers in Allah and disbelievers in the وَكَافِرٌ بِالْكَوَاكِبِ And the people who disbelieve in the stars. So ultimately, one way or the other, here, the thing which gathers all of them together is the description given in the beginning of the surah. Say, O disbelievers. So that the, the wasf, the description which gathers them all together, their deen is kufr. With all of its types. Whether it is kufr because of the stars or kufr because of the sun or kufr because of the moon or kufr because of the prophets worshipped besides Allah or the angels worshipped besides Allah or the dead or the stones or the trees or the idols made of wood or the idols made of rock doesn't make any difference all of it is millatun wahida in the sight of Allah Azza wa Jal there is Islam and there is everything else and that's hammers home the message inna deena indallahi al-islam the only religion in Allah's sight is Islam there's no other religion acceptable to Allah You have your religion And that is the religion of here to Address to the kafirin The religion is disbelief And I have my religion Here there's a little point of benefit in Arabic Which it might help you later on So even though we don't mention too many points on Arabic grammar here Sometimes we mention something Because it might help you to understand the ayah later on and the thing which might help you to understand the ayah is this kasra on the end of deen. Lakum deenukum waliya deeni. Deeni. We don't pronounce the kasra because it, it finishes, the surah finishes. But if you were going to connect the surah to the one afterwards, you could recite lakum deenukum waliya deeni. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. And so on. So here there's a kasra on the, on the noon. That kasra here, the scholars, they say, It is a replacement for the ya. In other words, it's a replacement for dini. Dini, my religion. It's there to indicate the ya was removed. The ya was removed. And how you know the ya was removed is that the kasra that was with it stays. But the ya is taken away. Similar to this, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونِ The same thing. I did not create the jinn and the men except to worship me. إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونِ The it here tells you that the original meaning is إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونِ To worship me. Now, why we say this is someone may come along in the ayah and surah al-dhariyat and say, Allah doesn't say to worship him. He just says to worship. Just to worship something. It's the kasra here that indicates that you're to worship Allah alone. So don't think somebody added a translation, the word me, and you say the word me is not in the ayah. How did someone add this translator added the word me? Or my, I, you have your religion and I have my religion. How did somebody, you know, add that in? It's there. It's the yeah. And uh, some of the scholars they say uh, that it's a part of uh, eloquence. 
the removing of the ya in certain situations is a part of eloquence. Because here, the ayat, قُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا الْكَافِرُونَ ends in a noon. لَا أَعْبُدُ مَا تَعْبُدُونَ وَلَا أَنْتُمْ أَعْبِدُونَ مَا أَعْبُدُ وَلَا أَنَا عَابِدٌ مَا عَبَدْتُمْ وَلَا أَنْتُمْ أَعْبِدُونَ مَا أَعْبُدْ لَكُمْ دِينُكُمْ وَلِيَدِينَ So part of the eloquence of the, of the surah and the balance within the surah and so this ya is uh, removed. And it's a normal thing that happened in normal Arabic uh, language that they remove the ya sometimes, which means my or me, and they replace it or they leave the kasra there to indicate that it was, it was, that's the intended meaning. Lakum dinukum waliyadin. I just see if I got all my points that I wanted to make. We mentioned about the different, in the, the ayat in the middle, that the scholars have a lot of different discussion in Arabic about which one refers to present and past and future, but the main meaning is that we understood that it refers to the past, the present, and the future. I have not worshipped, and I'm not worshipping, and I will not worship. Anything other than Allah Azza wa Jal alone, based on His names and attributes and actions, which Allah Azza wa Jal has revealed to us in the Quran, which the Prophet Sallallahu told us about uh, in the Sunnah. The word Adin. The word, uh, the word uh, deen, just to look at this word, what does this word, uh, the word uh, deen mean? So linguistically, in the, in the language, and this is something I wasn't really like, I didn't really know, uh, or I didn't really know about until I looked it up, that the word deen, it means submission and humility. Linguistically, in the language, the word deen, linguistically, it means submission and humility. Uh, like when people, for example, talk about uh, this is what they say this is, for example, this is what Adinullah bihi. This is what I how what I take as a means of submission to Allah. This is how I submit myself to Allah. And in terms of a technical sense, a deen is what a person is a person's aqidah and what and the way that they show their submission and humility to, to their object of worship, and to their ilah. So it is a person's belief, a person's fundamental beliefs, and it is the way that a person shows their submission and humility. So the, this encompasses what we believe about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, our aqidah, our deen is our aqidah, and that's why many of the scholars they use the word usul al-deen to refer to aqidah, person's belief. Uh, 
So my deen, my deen is what I believe about Allah and his angels, his prophets, his scripture, and, and so on. And the last day and Qadr, the good of it and the bad of it and what I believe you know, regarding the concept of Iman, the Sahaba radiallahu anhu and so on. What I, what I believe and what defines me in terms of my belief and the way that I show submission to Allah The practices through which I show submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's made up of two things. It's made up of the beliefs that, that, that are the usul of the deen. Usul of the deen, the foundations of the deen and the core of the deen. That's your beliefs. What you believe about Allah, what you believe about in the pillars of Iman and so on. That's your, your, fun, your foundation. And then the practices by which you show your submission and your humility and you having submitted to Allah in Islam, that is your deen. And so we are different from the mushrikeen and the kafirin in our aqidah, in our beliefs, and in our practices. And this is one of the benefits of using the word deen here. Lakum deenukum waliyadeen. That we are different from them in their i'tiqad, in what they believe, believe we're different. And we're different from them in the way that we worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the way that we pray, the way that we fast, the way that we sacrifice and so on. We are different in both the core, the usul of the deen and the furu' of the deen, the branches of the religion and the actions. We are different from the people who worship other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or who associate others in worship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I think that's inshallah ta'ala uh, sufficient for today inshallah ta'ala. I did have also Surah Al-Kawthar uh, ready but I think Surah Al-Kawthar will take a long time because we've, we're going to spend a while defining what is Al-Kawthar and is Al-Kawthar a river or is it Al-Hawd? Is there a difference between the two? And what about the different narrations in that regard and the reason that it was revealed? So there's, a, there's too much to fit because we already took like 50 minutes. So I think it's a good idea, inshallah ta'ala, we stop there. Please remember your homework, inshallah. It's only small homework. The surahs that begin with qul and how would you classify them or categorize them? Like how would you... Are they all about the same thing? Are they, is, this, is the statement qul always clearly directed to the Prophet how would you divide it and classify it and break it down inshallah that's inshallah something which is sufficient and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best wa salatu wa salam ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in Jazakumullah khairan for watching please subscribe share and you can visit muhammadtim.com